God, I just, I want to thank you for today. Um, thank you for this opportunity to share. And Lord, I just pray that you would take every one of my words and let them be one of yours. God, I just, I only want your truth to leave my lips. And God, if there's anything that is of me, God, let it just fall to the wayside. Let nothing of me be remembered this morning, but let everything of you, in your name, amen. So we're going to start, we're going to start, we're going to just talk about Joshua this morning. Um, I got this really cool opportunity um, at Bible College to spend the entire semester in a book of Joshua. So I got to get to know him pretty well. Um, and I loved it. I loved getting to know him and learning things about him that I didn't know. So we're going to start right at the beginning. Um, and we're going to go... One of his biggest victories, it is told to all the children everywhere, Jericho. Everyone knows it. And it's one of... It's a great story. But what you may not know is directly following this amazing victory of Joshua was one of his greatest failures. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to kind of big scope, and then we're going to zoom in on his failure. Because I feel like I relate a whole lot more to that than the victory of Jericho. (laughs) So it starts right at the beginning. We all know that Moses wasn't allowed to come into the promised land because he misrepresented God to the Israelites. So God was wanting to, to give the Israelites water. And the first time he did that, he told Moses to strike the rock. And water came out of it and everyone drank it. So that was the first. And that was to symbolize the breaking of Jesus' body. And the second time that the Israelites needed water, God told Moses to speak to the rock. But Moses, being human, was really mad, so he struck the rock. (laughs) God being good, he gave them water. Um, But speaking to Moses, God said, you misrepresented me. Like, you... You showed the Israelites somebody who I'm not. I wanted to show them grace. I wanted to show that they can just approach me, talk to me, and I will give them refreshment. And because you misrepresented me, you cannot enter the promised land. So we're at the border of the Jordan River, and Joshua is looking at the promised land. The Jordan River, it, it was really wide. It was like the highest peak, so we're in... Spring, so all of the water from the snow and mountains is melting, so it's the biggest, rushiest river, and he's standing on the, the border of it, and he's like, okay, I am now the leader of the Israelites. This is my land. There's a river between us. Okay, and God comes to him, and right at the beginning of Joshua, it says this. So this is Joshua 1, um, verse 2 onwards, and it says, Moses... My servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of these people, into the land that I am giving them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness um, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards The going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. 
Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do all according to the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn for it from it to the left or to the right, and you will have good success wherever you go. So, Moses gave Joshua an instruction manual. How awesome is that? I'm like, yes, where's mine? <laughs> right? So, Joshua, he's following the commands. He turns to, to his... We're going to jump a bit because we're going to get to chapter 6 and to get the unique history. So, we're going to jump a bit. Right? So, he turns to his, his armies. He says, okay, guys, God told us to be strong and very courageous. And the army's like, yeah! Right? He sends out two spies to scope out Jericho. Jericho was the biggest, mightiest city. It had walls that nobody could get through. And so Joshua sends out two spies. This is his MO. Joshua himself was a spy. So he's like, I got this. I'm going to send some spies in. We'll see what's happening. Right? So he sends the two spies in. They meet Rahab. um, And she protects them. And in turn, God will protect her. The spies come back and they say, you know what? God's got this. Like, we don't know how, but he's got it. Okay? They said to Joshua, this is in chapter 2, verses 24. They said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. That's a pretty good report from some spies. Right, the previous spies that went into the land, there was 12 of them, and they came back, and 10 of them were like, nope, not going to happen. We should not go there. There are giants. We shouldn't go. It's a terrible idea. Joshua and Caleb came back, and they were like, God got this, right? So when these two spies come back to Joshua and say, you know what, God's got this, I can imagine being Joshua in that situation and be like, okay, thank the Lord, let's go. <laughs> Everybody's on board. Everybody's like keen to finally get into this promised land. They'd learnt from their, their fathers and forefathers that were so eager to get there. So they come to this Jordan River and God uses this as a, like a ground to kind of prove Joshua as their leader. So much like Moses, he allows Joshua to perform a miracle. Uh-huh. So he tells everyone, he says, okay, priests, carry the Ark of the Covenant, right? Rushing river, like all the snow is melting, biggest river you've ever seen, right? And step into the water, okay? So, and as they do, the water banks up. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. I'm imagining a wall of water. <laughs> and the water banks up. And the entire Israelite nation is able to cross through. Like, millions of people walk through this river. It must have been crazy. Okay? So the people of the land know this has happened. Okay? Now, you can imagine this army is very keen to get their land. So what's the first thing you think they do when they get to the other side? Does anyone know? Feel free to shout it out. They what? They do. They build an altar. 
they take a bunch of the stones out of the river and they make a big pile of them. And the pile is literally there just to remember what happened. Right? Now, you would think, okay, you've got your remembrance, let's go fight a battle. No, they don't do that. The next thing that Joshua does, according to the commandments that Moses laid out, heading into the promised land, they had to be a consecrated people. A people set apart for God and his purposes. And so what they do, the first thing they do is, my word, they circumcise all of the males. The entire fighting army is incapacitated for a couple of days. Right? Now, you would, like, logically, it doesn't make sense. All of the armies of this land, the giants and these huge cities that everybody has seen and everybody has heard about, they know that this army is there. They've already taken their crops. They're eating the food of the land. Like, you would have thought that while they were incapacitated, that would be a great time to attack. But God protects them because Joshua is following the letter of the law. He's he is completely submitted to the plan of God. So after this, they're still not quite ready to, to fight, because directly after this, they have their first Passover in the land. They take the, land, the, the food of the land and they eat it. Okay? And it says, this is um, now chapter 5, in verse 11, it says, And the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So as soon as they had done all this and celebrated the Passover in the promised land, God was like, you don't need my miracle bread anymore, because you get to have a feast. You, like, this is the land I'm promising you, and I, I promise you, you're going to get farms, you're going to get cities, it's going to be amazing, and there's going to be enough in the land to sustain you. So you don't need my miracle bread anymore. It would have been a really scary morning the next day when you wake up expecting to be, like, bread outside your tent, and you're like, oh, mom, do you remember how to cook? Cause I don't... <laughs> right? But they're completely within the plan of God. And it's, it's awesome to see them just taking these steps of faith after faith. So now they're on the plains of Jericho. They see it in the distance. And Joshua, um, he goes for a walk to, to kind of to see the city. And I imagine he's probably trying to figure out a battle plan. And so this is chapter 5. Um, from 13 onwards, and it said, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. <laughs> That's quite the introduction. <laughs> And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take up your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
Now, one of the really interesting things about this is that we don't quite know who this is, but there's a few things we can glean from this experience. We know it wasn't an angel. We know that because he allowed Joshua to worship him. We see in Revelation, any time that John was like overwhelmed, he would turn to the angel and be like, I'm it, and the angel was like, no, you ain't. <laughs> right? Don't show that worship to me. Show that worship to God. He, this guy is the commander of the armies of the Lord. Many people have different opinions on this. But this is likely to be the Son of God. The personhood of the Son of God. He's not yet Jesus because he hasn't been born as a baby. But he's that person of the Trinity. So Joshua is standing here with the Son of God, the commander of the Lord armies. And he goes on to tell him how to conquer Jericho. In chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty man of valor. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war going to the city at once. And you should do this for six days. Seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day, you march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And so Peter, not Peter, Joshua, tells this to the people. He said, this is what we got to do. And they go ahead. And they do it. And we see the walls fall. The biggest, mightiest stronghold of the whole land of Canaan falls with a bunch of soldiers screaming at a wall. That is completely God's victory. There is no chance that this could have, like, been because of the Israelites. Like, they had no part in this apart from being faithful. Uh-huh. Now, Rahab and her family were safe because they looked after um, the spies that, duck in, that snuck into to Jericho. Right? But God had said something to the Israelites. Because this was the first battle, he said... Everything goes to the treasury of the Lord. Uh-huh. Every, every gem, every bit of gold, every piece of steel, whatever it is, it goes to the Lord. Uh-huh. Not a single soldier is to take a single thing. Uh-huh. At the end of chapter 6, it says, so, this is in verse 27, it says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. So not only was like God glorified, but God lifted up Joshua and set fear in the hearts of everyone else in the land. God was preparing Joshua to go and conquer the entire land for the Israelites. Okay? So this is the greatest victory. Okay, This is the big hurdle, and this was the first one. Like, you know, like if it was me, I'd take out a few, a few of the weaklings first. But no, Joshua goes for the biggest, baddest city he can find, 
because God gave him the victory. Now, directly following this is where things kind of come apart a little bit. Uh-huh. So, in chapter 7, at the beginning, it says this, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. So those were the things that God said, these are for the treasury only. Achan, he's had the family history, he took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So Joshua doesn't know this has happened yet. Okay? Joshua is like riding high off this victory, and he looks at the next city. So he does a similar thing. He said he sent out some spies, and Josh, it says in verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to him, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went and they spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toll up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up before the people, and they fled before the people of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord. Until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought these people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we've been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and they will surrender, they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? You see, this man, Achan, had done something wrong and Joshua didn't know about it yet. But that wasn't the big failure of Joshua. Did catch it? He followed the plan of two spies rather than asking the Lord for his plan. Heading into the second battle, Joshua was so proud of his victory in Jericho that he did not stop and ask God what the plan was for AI. He took... Now, we find out a little bit later that AI was 12,000 people and the spies told Joshua only to send 3,000 warriors. So Joshua wasn't just, you know, following the plans of the spies. He wanted his name to be great. He wanted to be like, hey, we destroyed that 12,000 city with uh, just three. So we're, we're coming for you next. Like, that's not what God is about. He's not about our glory at all. See you later. <laughs> it's not about our glory at all. 
And God responds. And so Joshua is mourning. He's put ash on his head. He's like crying out to the Lord. Right? And the Lord said to Joshua, he says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things that they have stolen and they lied and put them amongst their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their back before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up consecrate the people and say consecrate yourselves for tomorrow thus says the Lord one man's sin infected the entire nation we can't God sees us as an entire body we know that from the New Testament he says that time and time again that the body is his church that we all had a role And it's really important that we don't let sin dwell in our midst. We cannot abide with sin because we will then serve sin. It tells us time and time again we cannot have two masters. Our relationship with God is never going to change. He is always going to be our loving father. If we believe in Jesus, declare he is Lord, and repent, then God adopts us as his children. But when we are dwelling in sin and letting it abide in us, our fellowship with God is diminished. We don't have that intimacy with him anymore because there's something in the way. Joshua and the people of Israel didn't get to walk out the promises of God in this moment because there was sin getting in the way. So Joshua, he goes and confronts the sin. It's a really long, drawn-out process. He, like, looks at the entire crowd and he goes, okay, anyone from the tribe of Judah, come forward. So the tribe of Judah comes forward and he's like, okay, They're in this bunch. Okay. If you are part of this family and it goes on and on, there's like whole lots of divisions. And he eventually finds out that it's Achan. And Achan admits to it. He says, um, in verse 19, Joshua says to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord of Israel and give praise to him and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, he said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw the spoil of a beautiful cloak from Shina, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. He saw these things and he wanted them for himself. 
How often do we seize things of the earth and be like, ooh, I want a little bit of that for me. But he couldn't enjoy them because God had consecrated them for himself. God had set the Israelites apart. And he couldn't enjoy them. And what he did, he dug a hole and he put them in there. Like a cloak. He put in a hole. He's not enjoying the beauty of that thing. Because it's dirty and soiled. Like, what is he going to do with gold and silver if it's literally, he's hiding it from everybody? It's not the beautiful thing that he coveted anymore, but now it's something shameful that he's hiding away. And this was, the crazy thing about this was that God didn't tell them they weren't going to get gold and silver. That's not what he said. He just said the first victory, let me keep the gold and silver for the, and they ended up building the temple with that, right? That was what the first victory for. The next 20 victories or 30 victories or every territory that they took over for the entire land of Canaan, God told them to take the spoils of war for themselves. He told them to take the gold and the silver and the flocks of the animals. He told them that this was your spoil. But Achan wanted it before everybody else. He couldn't, he wasn't patient. He wasn't willing to just wait on the Lord. And so Achan and his entire family paid for his sin with their lives. And again, Joshua goes to the Lord. So in chapter 8, Joshua goes back to the Lord. And the Lord says, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I've given you into the hand of the king Ai and his people and his city and his land. And you shall go do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush behind the city and go and conquer it. And he does. They go and conquer the city and Joshua learns his lesson. That you always need to turn to God and rely on his plans. Now Lord, the, the Lord is not... Like, he's not a secretive and he doesn't, like, keep things from us. So if Joshua had gone and talked to God before that initial fight against AI, the Lord wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, go and fight the city and see what happened. Like, he would have turned around and be like, okay, before you fight, you need to deal with sin in the camp. That's who God is. Like, we need to always, like, like turn to him and rely on his plans because there's quite often stuff that we miss. We cannot live in the glory of our past victories that God has given us. How easy, well, I don't want to say easy, that's the wrong word. But when we see that big monster of a problem in our lives, we are so keen to throw prayer at it. Because we have no idea how to get at it. You know what I mean? When it's that, that massive thing that we're just standing there being floored, I have no idea. Like for me, to go to Bible college in another country when I didn't have any money, I was just like, okay, God, you got this. (laughs) 
And that entire year, heading into Bible college, I saw all these incredible things happen. Like, real quick story, don't know if you know this, my car had a dodgy engine. Right? It's going to cost me two grand to fix it. Right? In fact, I put the car into the mechanic. I got a call an hour later. The mechanic was like, okay, it's going to cost you two grand. And I was like, okay. In my head, I was like, I don't have two grand, but we'll figure it out. Um, he calls me back 10 minutes later and goes, I have no idea how this happened, but it's covered by warranty. The car is too old to have warranty, but my computer says it's covered by warranty. So you get it for free. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> I still couldn't sell my car. Nobody wanted to buy it. And I was like, okay, God, my initial problem is the car. And so on Tuesday night, we're at Bible study, and I said to the girls, and I was like, girls, I need to get the car gone by the end of this week because I can't afford to pay the next payment on it. So Tuesday night, we all, six of us, just spent like half an hour praying to get rid of this car. On the Wednesday, I get a phone call, and it said, I will be there tomorrow at 10 a.m. to pick up the car. And I was like, I'm working tomorrow, but I work for my dad. It's fine. I'll be there. <laughs> 10 a.m. the next day, this woman gets out of her car, walks to my front door, hands me an envelope of cash, takes the keys, and leaves. She did not drive the car. She did not look at the car. She signed the paperwork and left. <laughs> Turned out she'd been driving for five, like eight hours to come and pick up my car and gave me the... It was crazy. Mom was there. It was crazy. We didn't quite know what happened. But the car was gone. <laughs> it was so... And like, you're like, yes. And I got, like, I had the money for two semesters of Bible college. Like, it was crazy. So I, like, walked into Bible college and I'm like, yes, I'm supposed to be here. I, like, by the end of the semester, I paid full up the second semester of Bible college. And it was, it was all done. But I came back for that holiday period in between those three months in June, July, and August. And I knew I was going back to Bible college. I knew God had provided for it. So I didn't throw as much prayer towards it as I had previously. I just kind of muddled in. I was like, oh yeah, we're going to Bible college. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, God already, he did the victory. We're here. Like, and I was way out of my depth. <laughs> like, I, the beginning of this last semester, I was thrown into, I was a dorm steward. I'd signed up, which was like, so I was kind of, looking after two dorms and checking in on the girls and kind of the point person for them to kind of, like a support person, kind of just just like a Bible study leader and stuff like that, but like 24-7. And I was not only over one room, but two rooms. So there were seven girls. And like within the first two weeks, I walk up to, to my mentor and I sat down and was like, oh, I was not prepared for this. I failed 10 times already. And she was like, did you pray about it? And I was like... I'll be back. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, how often do we rely on, like, the past victory to see us through our current struggle? Like, God hasn't finished with us yet. He is doing a new thing. So I don't know what the next city to conquer in your life is. I don't know if you have been bogged down by the failures and just things that you, it doesn't make sense because the promise was there. 
Like for Joshua, the beginning of the book, like as I read it, like God said, wherever your feet tread, that land I've given to you. Like we are walking in the promise of God. We are walking in his freedom and we are walking like post-cross. Life is awesome because Jesus has delivered us from everything. But there are days where it does not seem like we are walking in freedom. There are days when it does not seem like the promises of God are for us. And on those days, that's when we need to turn to God and just give everything to him in prayer again. 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 5. It says, um, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. God wants to give us the victories and the freedom, and he's just waiting for us to turn to him and ask for it. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of victory. God, that you are taking us from faith to faith. You are our loving Father who wants to just draw close to us and you want to walk intimately with us every single day. But God, we also know that we are a faulty people, that we that we make mistakes and we rely on our own strength. God, we see the victory and the freedom that you've given us in our past life and we rely on the center of that to sustain us. But God, I don't want to be reliant on something you've already done. But God, I want to be reliant on what you are doing. God, you are giving us new strength for a new day. Your mercies are new this morning. God, and God, we, we just want to ask for your mercy again. For those times where we have relied on our own strength, for those times we have not been leaning on you and looking to you for the plan, God, we just, we stand here with our arms open and we just ask that you may show us those places in our lives where you are waiting with a plan but we are too reliant on ourselves and our own plans. God, we want to thank you for your word and thank you for your imperfect characters that relate to us and show us more of your character. And God, we thank you ahead of time for the freedom and the beautiful promises that you have for us that you're going to bring in our lives when we stand with our hands open to you. In your name, amen.